Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 60. We'll begin with a brief summation of the chapters 12 through 15 in the book of Judges and follow the consideration of signifying tricksters. In case you're just joining the program, our hero judge of the episode is Yiftach the Giladite, who, despite landing a big victory against foreign oppression, is faced with the unhappiness of the men of Ephraim. Why didn't you call us to join the war, they kvetch? We're going to burn your house down. Well, Yiftach gives it right back. I did call you, and y'all didn't come. And now you come at me with threats? It's on. And the Giladites give it to Ephraim. War. Yiftach's men seize the key crossing points and prevent Ephraimites from crossing anywhere. And how do they know an Ephraimite from, say, a Menasheite? Well, first they would ask, are you an Ephraimite? And if the guy says yes, well... But if the guy wisely says no, then they would ask the individual to say the word Shibolet, which Ephraimites pronounced Sibolet. And then... Over 2,000 Ephraimites fall at the hands of Yiftach, who judges Israel for six years. The next two turns of the cycle of strife are quick. Yiftzan of Bethlehem, like Yair the Giladite before him, has 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he marries off to foreigners. Then after seven years of judging, he dies, and there is no mention of idolatrous shenanigans or oppression or any of that, as Elon of Zvulun assumes judgeship for ten years before dying and handing the gavel over to Avdon ben Hillel, an Ephraimite, who had forty sons and thirty grandsons and ten ass cults and a tenure of eight good years. But this streak is not meant to last. With Avdon's death, the Jews begin to wander, and the Philistines seize control and force the Jews into a state of submission— for 40 years. It is with this backdrop that we read about a Danite named Manoach, who's married to a barren woman. It is to this barren woman that an angel appears with a message. You will have a son, but don't let him drink wine or spirits or eat shrimps or any other, other novellas, which is pretty sound advice for any newborn. But the angel goes on to talking about grooming, as in don't cut the baby's hair, ever. This child is to be a Nazarite from birth, a Jewish monk who will grow up and liberate the Jews from Philistine oppression. The boy, Shimshon, quickly grows into a man, and after being betrothed to a local Philistine girl, he runs afoul of the Philistines when, when his banquet guests use his fiancée to help them win an expensive bet. To retaliate for their manipulations, he kills them and gets himself on the Philistines' most wanted list, especially after his fiancée is given to another man because his father-in-law-to-be thought Shimshon wouldn't want her anymore after the whole bet debacle. Shimshon says, quote, This time I, can, I am clear of the Philistines, for I am about to do harm to them. How he will be clear of them involves 300 foxes, 150 torches, and the cornfields and olive yards of the Philistines. When the Philistine authorities realize that Shimshon burned their year's crop because of a dispute with his father-in-law and fiancé, they execute the father-in-law and fiancé, which really cheeses off Shimshon. Quote, and he struck them a great blow, hip on thigh. This prompts the authorities to try a different approach. If Philistines cannot bring Shimshon in, perhaps his fellow Jews can. Judahites are tasked with the task, and Shimshon agrees to go with them. They bind him with new ropes and hand him over to the Philistines, but, quote, the ropes that were on his arms became like flax burning in fire. And then...
Chapter 15 concludes with Shimshon quenching his mighty thirst and the text reporting that, the, that he judges Israel, quote, in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. But Shimshon is not done with the Philistines. He consorts with a prostitute at the beginning of chapter 16 and thwarts an ambush by ripping the gates of Gaza off their hinges. He eventually hooks up with a woman named Delilah, who is convinced by Philistine lords to betray Shimshon to them, which she does. Shimshon's locks are shorn, his eyes are plucked out, and he is enslaved in the prison house grinding wheat like a beast of burden. But his hair eventually grows back, and when he is taken to the temple of Dagon to be mocked and scorned by the 3,000 VIPs in attendance, he tells the boy that he needs to rest against a pillar, and before anyone is the wiser, Shimshon's vow of, quote, let me die with the Philistines is fulfilled. He brings down the temple and kills everyone inside. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. Depending on how you count, Shimshon is the last of the twelve judges, and though, as the text tells us, he saves the Jews from a foreign occupier, sort of, and functions as a judge for twenty solid years, he kicks ass. He is a lover and a fighter. He's arguably cut from the same cloth as mythical figures like Hercules. They both battle lions, they have a favorite blunt instrument to smite folk with, and they both were betrayed by women. And spoilers, they also both die at their own hand. His name Shimshon puns on the word Shemesh, or sun, and the woman that unmans him, Delilah, Delilah, puns on the word Lila, or night. Mythic stuff indeed. But what is most compelling about Shimshon as a biblical figure, besides his brawn and his muscles, is that he hangs out with the Philistines. He socializes with them. He drinks with them. He wants to marry them. He regularly crosses the border between Jew and Philistine, both physically and psychically. And remember that the relations between Jew and Philistine was not necessarily chummy. The Philistines oppressed the Jews, perhaps not all of them, but at least every Jew that Shimshon knew who lived along the coastal plain in the region of what today we would call Gaza. The Philistines had technological superiority over the Jews, which lasted well into the days of David and Solomon. But what is most interesting to me about Shimshon's fraternizing is how he signifies. Signifying has a very special meaning. Henry Louis Gates is the Alphonse Fletcher University professor at Harvard University and the director of the W.E.B. Dubois Institute for African and African American Research. Back when he was an assistant professor of Afro-American studies and English at Yale University, he wrote an essay entitled The Blackness of Blackness, A Critique of the Sign and the Signifying Monkey. In this essay, Gates describes the signifying monkey, a character that evolved during slavery in the United States, as, quote, one who dwells at the margins of discourse, ever punning, ever troping, ever embodying the ambiguities of language. What this means for those of us who are not literature majors in the early 1990s is this. The signifying monkey is a trickster who likes to stir things up by using, abusing, and manipulating language, as well as playing tricks. Gates reports that there are thousands of toasts to the signifying monkey, most, most of which start as follows. Deep down in the jungle, so they say, there's a signifying monkey down the way. There hadn't been no disturbance in the jungle for quite a bit. For up jumped the monkey in the tree one day and laughed, I guess I'll start some shit. This opening could also easily describe Shimshon, who starts some shit too. Like the signifying monkey, he plays with words, challenging folks with riddles and plays practical jokes, each one bigger than the one preceding it. The first involves foxes and torches and setting fields alight. The second involves his pretend surrender, being bound up in ropes as if he was captured. And the third involving the removal of the gates of Gaza, leaving the city vulnerable to other sundry mischief. In slave narratives featuring the signifying monkey, the monkey dupes the powerful lion and thus prevails over the king of the jungle. 
However, many of those tales conclude in the cautionary fashion. Monkey, said the lion, beat to this to hit his unbooted knees. You and all your signifying children better stay up in them trees. Which is why today, Monkey does a signifying a way up out of the way. This would have been a fitting end for Shimshon too, except signifying Shimshon would not stay away up in the trees, and the Philistines eventually would put their hands on him, blind him, and put him to work as a beast of burden. But even then, signifying Shimshon was not finished with his tricks. His last would be his most legendary. Feigning exhaustion after being humiliated at at the temple of Dagon, he asked to be led to a column so he can rest. But what he really intended was to pull off, or more like push off, his biggest trick of all. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend, send them an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. Or you could do the social media thing and like TanakhCast at the show page on Facebook or Google+. Or you could leave a kind word in the comments section at thenextjew.com. Or write a brief review at the iTunes store. Or find TanakhCast at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud and leave a kind word there. It's a small thing, really, but it will help me and help other people find TanakhCast. I thank you in advance for that. And encourage you to come on back and join us next week-ish for episode 61 when we conclude the, the book of Judges with chapters 17 through 21. 